Are you struggling in your relationship with your teenager? Do you feel like you're losing them to their friends, our culture, or even their phones? Then we are so glad you're joining us for today's episode. I'm your host, Katie Morgan, and welcome to Parenting with Ginger Hubbard. Ginger is the best-selling author of Don't Make Me Count to Three, Wise Words for Moms, and I Can't Believe You Just Said That. She speaks at women's events, parenting conferences, and homeschool conventions across the country. You can check out her parenting resources and find out when she's speaking in or near your area at gingerhubbard.com. In today's episode, we're going to hear Ginger's personal testimony and how God drastically changed her heart as a teenager. We'll also learn more about how parents can reach the hearts of their teenagers, no matter how far we feel they have strayed. But before we dive in, here is a quick word from our sponsor. I read something online recently that really pricked my heart. It said, the church should handle adoption and caring for the fatherless like we handle the Great Commission. While not everyone is called to adopt, everyone does play a role in caring for the fatherless. Friends, this is why Ginger and I are thrilled to share more about our sponsor, Lifeline Children's Services. Lifeline believes that adoption is one way that God provides families for vulnerable children who need to know the love of Christ and the love of a family. They walk with foster and adoptive families and provide them with parent coaching, educational services, and professional counseling so they can better nurture and disciple their children. Whether you're a foster or adoptive family who could use support services, or if, like my family, you want to support those who have opened their homes to these precious children, you can find out more at lifelinechild.org. Again, that's lifelinechild.org. Lifeline brings gospel hope to vulnerable children. Ginger, I have to say that when I first read your testimony in preparation for this episode, I actually teared up. It's just a beautiful story of redemption, and I'm going to do my best not to interrupt you too much while you tell it. So um, if you would, start us at the beginning. Oh, Katie, thank you. I love to share my story because it is a testimony of the redemption of Christ. But what's so amazing is He makes every story beautiful when we put our hope and our trust in Him. So I actually didn't grow up in a Christian home because my parents didn't come to know Jesus until they were in their early 40s, but I did grow up in a very loving home, and I had a daddy who wanted to give me everything, so he pretty much gave me everything. (laughs) Just to give you an idea, Katie, by the time I was 17, I was on my third car, which was a fire red 300ZX with T-tops and an airbrush tag on the front that read spoiled rotten. And that I was. You actually had that tag on the front of your car. That's amazing. That's that's all <laughs> Yep. Custom airbrushed in Panama City Beach, Florida. <laughs> nice. Uh, it's quite different from my first car, which was my dad's manual transmission red Ford Ranger pickup truck. I was not the coolest girl in school with that ride, but I sure did learn how to eat my breakfast and apply my makeup while driving a stick shift all at the same time. Um, anyway, I want to hear more about spoiled rotten ginger, which is hard to imagine. I'll go ahead and say. Well, I appreciate that, but I was rotten with a capital R. My parents have the pictures to prove it. So my parents didn't become Christians until I was 18, but they were very moral people before that who 
who really lived a more conservative life than a lot of the church-going people we knew. So as a family, we viewed Sundays as a day to sleep in and unwind and just do whatever we wanted to do, rather than a day set apart for worshiping God. And we pretty much viewed people who chose to attend church on Sundays, I guess at worst, as hypocrites and at best as people who just needed to feel better about themselves. Now, for me personally, I did believe in God because God creating everything just made more sense to me than evolution. I thought all the explanations in the public school books that were being crammed down my throat were pretty far-fetched. The whole Big Bang Theory and saying that we evolved from apes, that that stuff just had way too many holes in it for me. So I I guess in a sense, I didn't have enough faith to be an atheist. (laughs) It does take a lot of faith to be an atheist, It really does. So as far as where people would spend eternity, I just figured that if I lived a reasonably good life and was good to people and didn't do anything really bad, that I would go to heaven. And that was pretty much my parents' philosophy as well until someone explained to them that it doesn't matter how good of a person you are, because the only way to heaven is through Jesus. Mm -hmm. So my parents asked Jesus to be their Lord and Savior. And of course, as soon as they begin to know him, they begin to love him. And they wanted nothing more than for me to know and love him too. But I didn't want to change the way I was living. And I sure as heck didn't want to spend my Sundays going to church. I, I can't imagine how hard that was for your parents, just as brand new Christians, their lives were dramatically transformed, and now they know, possibly for the first time, that your soul was in eternal danger. That's right. But I didn't have the Holy Spirit like they did, so I didn't understand that danger. But yes, I know that was super hard on my parents to understand it and trying to get me to understand it when I just didn't, because I didn't grow up in church. I mean, I knew nothing about God or the Bible. I just thought that religion was religion. I had no idea that there was a difference in being a religious person and actually having a personal relationship with Jesus. Mm -hmm. And I thought my parents had just completely gone off their rocker and gotten mixed up in some sort of a cult. And I could actually remember praying to a God I didn't know to please get my parents out of this cult. (laughs) (laughs) But thankfully, God didn't answer my prayers the way Mm -hmm. I wanted him to because I began to see drastic changes in my parents And most of them were changes that I didn't like. Because you see, as a teenager with a pocket full of money and plenty of freedom, I didn't appreciate these new family rules like having to attend church and Sunday, Sunday school every single Sunday. And I didn't like that all of a sudden I had to answer all of these ridiculous questions. Um, You know, those ridiculous questions, Katie, like, where are you going and who are you going with? (laughs) So before your parents were saved, you had much more freedom. Uh, You can't see me, but I'm using air quotes because outside of God's saving grace is nothing but bondage. But I can imagine that their new rules probably felt like bondage to you at the time. So how did your parents respond to that? Well, when I began to resist their authority, my daddy came into my bedroom one night and he knelt beside my bed. And Katie, I'll never forget what he said. He took my hands in his and with tears just streaming down his face. He said, little girl, that's what he called me, little girl. He said, I need to ask your forgiveness. He said, I have been a failure as a father. I've tried to win your love by giving you everything you ever wanted, but I've left out the most important thing, and that's Jesus Christ. Oh, that is precious. Even as a brand new Christian, your dad got it. That's just a beautiful moment. It was, Katie. 
it was a defining moment. And I'll never forget it because in all my years, I had never seen my daddy cry. And to be honest with you, I didn't like seeing him cry. And I didn't like the God who was making my daddy feel like a failure. So I wrapped my arms around him and I assured him that he had not been a failure, but he had been the best daddy in the world. So as my parents developed this a closer relationship with the Lord, they found a verse in the Bible that they sort of adopted as our family theme. And that verse was Joshua 24, 15, which says, As for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. They had no intentions of compromising their newfound faith in God, and so they wanted me really badly to share in that faith, and so they started to tighten the reins on me. They knew the kind of life that I was living. They knew that I was involved with underage and irresponsible drinking, and they had found evidence of what my boyfriend and I had been up to. You know, it's so interesting because a lot of people think that teenagers rebel and make bad choices because of peer pressure. And I'm I'm sure probably with a lot of them, that is the case. But I can tell you with me, that was not the case. I was the peer pressure. Mm. I did exactly what I wanted to do. And I had a way of talking everybody else into doing what I wanted to do. I was always the ringleader and the life of the party. Well, I bet you're still the life of the party, just, you know, a different kind of party. (laughs) Honestly, it's just really strange to me to hear you talk about this part of your life because it's just hard to imagine. Uh, But that's a good thing. Obviously, it's clear to me that you've been radically transformed. Um, But take us back to this struggle between you and your parents. Well, my parents knew that I was living a life that was headed for destruction, and they just couldn't convince me to surrender my life to Jesus. So all they knew to do was just try and uh, protect me by laying down rules. And when I didn't comply with the new family rules for the first time in my life, my daddy enforced consequences. He took away my freedom and he took away my car. And suddenly he wasn't the best daddy in the world anymore. (laughs) (laughs) So I didn't like what was happening in our family. So I actually left home my senior year of high school. Like completely moved out? Yep. I moved in with my best friend and her mom and sister because I thought my parents' new way of living and thinking was just ridiculous. Daddy likes to tell this story of when I was little and how he said I must have asked him a hundred questions a day. And he said that one time I was riding in his truck with him and I was pointing at everything in sight and asking, Daddy, what's that? What's that? And he said he was so worn out with my questions that after about the hundred and tenth one, he said, little girl... I don't know. (laughs) And he said, I looked up at him all wide-eyed and slapped him on the shoulder and said, oh, daddy, you know everything. (laughs) He said, then when I became a teenager, I looked at him and said, "Uh, you don't know anything. (laughs) You know, I'm pretty sure most teenagers feel that way. My parents didn't know anything from the time I was about I don't know, 15 until I started having children. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's just funny how that happens, isn't it? (laughs) Yeah, I actually have a sign on our back porch that says, oh my goodness, my mother was right about everything. (laughs) I think I was in my 40s when I bought it. (laughs) That's how long it takes. (laughs) so true. It's scary. Well, uh, so your parents tried to protect you by establishing these rules, but by that time, it was evident that you weren't going to have any part of that. So what happened next? So I moved out at 18 and I got a job. Now, I did keep in touch with my parents, and they continued to try to encourage me to begin a relationship with Jesus, but I wouldn't listen to them. I just kept resisting. I just didn't want to give up the things in my life that I thought were bringing me happiness. And the way that I looked at it then is I didn't want to follow a bunch of do's and don'ts and thou shalt nots. And that's what I thought Christianity was all about. Like I said, I thought it was nothing more than a cult, a a sort of bondage to legalistic rules. 
But what I didn't realize is that bondage is when we habitually indulge in activities and thoughts and lifestyles that promise this great satisfaction, but wind up only delivering shallow pleasures that quickly lead to depression or guilt or regret. But the more I indulged Mm. in the things that I thought would bring happiness, the more unhappy and empty I felt. That is the ultimate lie. You know, sin always promises what it can never deliver. That's right. Romans 6, 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. What people who are searching for satisfaction in all the wrong places don't realize, and what I didn't realize at that time, is that sin is enslaving, not satisfying. John 8.34 tells us, I tell you the truth. Anyone who sins is a slave to sin. But the good news is is that Jesus has paved the way to freedom. And two verses down in verse 36, we're told that if the Son sets you free, you are free indeed. True freedom is found in loving and obeying and serving the Lord Jesus Christ. But like many people, I didn't understand that at first, and so I rebelled. And one thing that I can say for certain is that one of the ways that God softened my heart was through my parents' unwavering love for Jesus and their commitment to Him. Mm. You see, I knew that my parents loved me, but I had watched my parents for three months put their love for Jesus above their love for me. And because of that, I knew that He was real, and I knew that His love had that it was more powerful than any love that I'd ever known. And that's one of the reasons why walking with Jesus and not compromising in our commitment to Him is so powerful. It's because it shows other people how real He is. Okay, I don't want our listeners to miss that, Ginger, because I think that's the entire crux of your testimony. No, your parents couldn't save you from your sins. Only God can do that. But He used their obedience to Him to ultimately convict your heart, which is amazing because— that was the thing you most disliked about their newfound faith. Mm-hmm. And this is just crucial for us as parents to understand. Our kids, especially our teenagers, won't respect our willingness to compromise our faith, to appease them, or to avoid conflict. But neither will we reach their hearts by screaming and yelling and barking our demands at them. So I just want our listeners to hear how your parents handled this part because it's just beautiful. Yeah, I'm so thankful for the way that— they ask God for wisdom, and I'm thankful for how they were obedient to act on that wisdom that He gave them, which let me tell you, it was really hard on them because during the time that I had left home as a senior in high school, my parents really struggled with letting me come back home and just live however I wanted to live because they missed me. You know, like I said, we were a super close family, so the separation was, it was hard on all of us. And because it was so hard on them, especially with me still being in high school, there were so many times that they were tempted to just pick up the phone and, and compromise and, and say, you know what? You don't have to obey our rules. You can live however you want to live. We won't say one word. You don't have to go to church. We just want you to come back home. But instead, they remained faithful to stand on the truth of God's Word, and they put their trust in Him to do a work in my heart. I don't know if you and your family have jumped on the monthly membership bandwagon, but my family really has. There are several that we get super excited about, but one of my kids' absolute favorites is called Dwell. Dwell is a monthly membership of scripture designs to help you and your family memorize one Bible verse every month. So we have what's called the Family and Friends membership, and it includes a four by five and a half print of the scripture verse, two key cards with the verse, and this is my favorite part, nine temporary tattoos. 
The designs are just beautiful, and I think this is a perfect Christmas or a birthday gift that doesn't include just more plastic stuff laying around the house. Actually, I have a funny story about my dwell tattoo. I was having dinner with my parents one night, and I had one on my wrist because we were learning John 8:36. Well, my dad saw it and asked if I had a new tattoo on my arm, and I was like, yeah, dad, I've had this for almost 10 years. <laughs> and he said, well, I never noticed that before. <laughs> And then I had to confess that I lied to my dad about a fake scripture tattoo. So, you know, don't be like me. To learn more about this wonderful way to help you and your family hide God's Word in your heart, just go to dwelldifferently.com and sign up today. Again, that's dwell, D-W-E-L-L, differently.com. I cannot imagine how that must have just eaten away at them during that time. And I just so admire their willingness to trust God through that time. I know. I'm really thankful that they didn't compromise because of the night that I'm about to tell you about. It was uh, it was the night that changed my life forever. I had been gone for a little over three months, and my parents were starting to question if what they were doing was the right thing because um, they were both just at their wits' end. They were emotionally exhausted, physically drained, because they had really hoped that by now that I would have come back home. And it just seemed that I wasn't anywhere near surrendering. And so their hearts were just really, really broken. Mm. So again, I'd been gone for about three months, maybe a little bit more. And it was after midnight. I was already asleep. And my parents were again, just at their wits end, just really upset. And they were just about to break down and call me and tell me that I could live however I wanted to, that they just wanted me to come back home. But before they did that, instead, they got down on their knees in the living room and they cried out to God. And they prayed about this new verse that they had found in the Bible. And it was 1 Corinthians 10, 13, that talks about God being faithful when we're tempted. And it says, I will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. And in their pain, they were just honest with God. And they told him that they were hurting so badly and that it just really did seem like more than they could bear. But at the same time, they wanted to trust him and they wanted to follow his lead. And as they prayed for God's strength, they said that this total peace washed over them. And Katie, it was at that very moment that I came charging through the front door, a broken person who needed hope and healing, a person who two weeks earlier had walked into an abortion clinic and bought into one of the biggest lies of all time. And I remember that night that I went home and how God softened my heart. Like I said, I was already asleep and I had not even been thinking about going home. And I just all of a sudden woke up feeling so depressed and so empty and so hopeless. And I just hated myself, and I was absolutely miserable with guilt over the choices that I had made, especially the abortion. And let me just say a little bit about that. I really didn't understand why it was wrong because the counselors at the clinic, they had assured me that it wasn't a baby at all, that it was just a blob of tissue, mm -hmm. and I believed them. But as soon as I left that clinic, I knew in my heart that that wasn't true. I knew that I had just made the worst and most selfish decision that I'd ever made. And I knew that I would never get over the choice that I made to end the life of my first child. It didn't bring relief at all, like they told me that it would at the clinic. In fact, it brought on the complete opposite of what they promised. It brought on a bondage of guilt and shame. And it was just so consuming that it was almost suffocating. 
So back to the night that God softened my heart, I woke up and I just started thinking about my parents and about the peace and the joy that they had found in Jesus. And it was a peace and joy that I wanted. So when I woke up that night, I don't, it just all of a sudden hit me and I thought, why am I running from this? And so I called my boyfriend and asked him to give me a ride home because I still didn't have a car. And even though it was after midnight, his mom was thrilled to let him give me a ride home because she was one of the many Christians who had been praying for me to go back home and to come to Christ. And so when I got home, I walked into the living room where my parents had just been crying out to God. And I said, I'll follow your rules and I'll do whatever you say because I want what you've got. I said, I want to know Jesus, but I don't know how. And Katie, words cannot express how freeing it was that night as I prayed with my parents and surrendered my life to Jesus. It felt good because what I had been experiencing wasn't freedom. It was bondage and it was miserable. Ginger, um, hearing you say all this, my mind just goes to Ephesians 2.4 where it says, But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. And your story is just filled with the grace and mercy of God. Mm. Um, So once your eyes were opened, I mean, literally opened from asleep to receive Christ, what happened next? Well, the more I read my Bible and prayed, the hungrier I became to know Jesus more. And the more I knew Him, the more I loved Him, and the more I wanted to serve Him, and the more I wanted to tell other people about Him. I wanted to shine His light into the lives of others the same way that He had used my parents to shine His light into my life. And I knew that I needed some encouragement from Christian friends to help me do that. Hebrews 10, 24 through 25 says, Let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. So again, when the Lord woke me up and I went home and surrendered my life to Christ, that was over a weekend. And I knew that come Monday morning at school, I would have a choice. I could either act as if nothing had happened and jump right back in with my friends, all of whom I loved so much, and just go back to my old lifestyle, or I could take a stand for Jesus and risk my friends turning away from me. And Katie, you know how important friends are at that age. Mm -hmm. I mean, I know friends are always important, but there just seems to be this certain level of dependency that we have on our friends at that high school age, or at least it was for me. My friends had been my life for many years. And I was afraid of how they were going to respond to my new commitment to God. But at the same time, I cared too much about them to let my fear keep me from telling them and from living out the good news of Jesus. I wanted them to know the same joy and peace and freedom that I'd found. So I chose to take a stand. And I will never forget that moment in my life. It was it was in the Auburn High School cafeteria. And I was actually late getting into the lunchroom that day, and I had just gotten my tray of food, and I was standing there in the middle of the cafeteria, and I looked over to where my friends were already sitting, and I saw that they were all cutting up and laughing, and I knew they were probably talking about the unwholesome things that went on over the weekend, Mm -hmm. and probably making plans for the unwholesome things that would go on the next weekend. (laughs) And there in the middle of my friends was one empty seat, and That was where I had always sat, and it was the place where I was comfortable. 
And then I looked across the cafeteria and I saw what I had always always referred to as the Jesus freak table. (laughs) This is where all the Christians sat. And now this is the group that I had openly ridiculed and made fun of for years. They always sat together and they always held hands and prayed before they ate. And there in the middle of that group of Christians was one empty seat. And I knew what God wanted me to do. But Katie, I can't even begin to describe to you the battle that went on in my heart that day as I stood in the middle of that cafeteria holding my tray of food and trying to decide which path to take. It was such a pivotal moment in my life. Do I take the path back to my old life or do I take the path of God and take a stand for Him? And I remember my whole body was shaking and I was crying because it was so hard. But I finally walked over to the table where those Christians sat and I took my place in that empty seat. And I didn't know any of their names, but I felt certain they knew mine. (laughs) To say that they looked shocked would be an understatement. And I was so upset that I couldn't even eat. And we just all sat there in this uncomfortable silence that seemed like an eternity. And then finally, one of them spoke up and said, Ginger, can I ask why you decided to come sit with us today? And he actually looked a little bit afraid of what I might say. (laughs) (laughs) And I just explained that I wanted to know Jesus better and that I needed to be around people that could show me how to do that. And right there at the table in the Auburn High School cafeteria, they all took turns praying for me that I would find strength in my new relationship with Jesus. Wow. You know, Ginger, I just pray my kids would be like those amazing kids who prayed with you on that day. And it's funny to me how much we have in common the more you and I share stories like this, because I also came to know the Lord my senior year in high school. And one of my most vivid memories during that time was when I told one of my closest non-Christian friends, and she and I would often skip school together and— do things that non-Christians did when they skipped school. Y'all don't tell my dad. Um, And when I told her I wouldn't be doing any of that because I was changed, uh, she said that she didn't believe in all that, but that she respected me for making that choice. And, you know, after that, we didn't really hang out like we did. Mm -hmm. Um, And I, I still keep up with her, actually, from time to time now, but I remember realizing I wasn't going to be able to live that old life anymore. Right. And, and, you know, this isn't to say that we should have nothing to do with non-Christian friends, because right. whether we're 18 or 80, we can't lead them to Christ if we shut them out of our lives. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, we shouldn't blend in with their lifestyles either. We need to draw strength from Christ-centered friendships, ones where, where we spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Mm-hmm. And then we can let the overflow of that encouragement pour out into the lives of our friends who are lost. If we want Christ to rescue them from darkness, we need to shine His light into their worlds. But we can only do that by being different, by being Mm. set apart, by making the decision to live a life surrendered to Jesus. I'm so thankful that my parents kept talking to me about Jesus and the difference that He was making in their lives during that time that I was uh, not at home and and in total rebellion. Because even though I didn't want to hear it, Um, I just appreciate the fact that they kept telling me about the scriptures that God was speaking to them through and about the joy and the freedom that they had found in Jesus instead of all the shallow and fleeting satisfactions that the world was offering. 
And even though I didn't believe as they did, they remained faithful in sharing their daily testimony of who Jesus is and what he was doing in their lives and what he's done for all of us. And Jesus used the testimonies of my parents to draw me to himself. And, you know, I think that's key as parents because teens can argue when we try to force our own convictions on them, but they can't argue with our personal testimonies about who Jesus is to us and the Mm. difference that he's making in our lives. My parents didn't back up, let up, or shut up about (laughs) their love for Jesus and about what he meant to them personally. And because of that, I came to know him personally. I just love that, Ginger. And I want to restate what you said, not restate, but state again what you said. You know, our children can't argue with our personal testimonies about who Jesus is to us and the difference he's making in our lives. I just love that. So, you know, your parents maintained their faith They established firm but loving boundaries, and they prayed without ceasing. What a beautiful example your parents are to all of us. So thank you for sharing that story. Ginger, as we come to a close, can you leave us with one final word of encouragement? Sure. To parents with rebellious teens or even parents with young children who've not yet accepted Christ or are still young in their faith, I encourage you to speak up about who Jesus is to you and what he's done in your life and pray that he would use your passion and your love for Jesus to win their hearts. Talk about Jesus and the life-giving truths of his word as you sit at home, as you walk along the road, as you lie down and as you get up like the scriptures tell us to do. And remember, no matter where you're starting, whether it's with a rebellious teen or a young and impressionable child, God's word does not return void, which means his word will accomplish what he set it out to do. Thank you, Ginger. And thank you, listeners, for joining us. If you want to know when new episodes will be released, you can subscribe to this podcast wherever you're listening. And we would love to have you leave us a rating or a review. This just helps others find our podcast as well. Do you have a parenting question? Well, then we invite you to submit it at gingerhubbard.com slash askginger, and we'll do our best to answer it in a future episode. And while you're on the website, be sure to check out Ginger's resources, which are excellent for helping parents get to the heart of outward behavior and address it from a biblical perspective. Today, we're offering a 10% discount on her Wise Words for Moms chart and Ginger's newest parenting book, I Can't Believe You Just Said That, biblical wisdom for taming your child's tongue. To get your 10% discount on both of these resources, just enter the code parenting at gingerhubbard.com. Also, we'll put a link to Ginger's favorite book on parenting teens called Age of Opportunity by Paul Tripp in our show notes. Thank you for joining us today. We look forward to being with you again next week. Until then, may God bless you as you seek to reach the hearts of your children and point them to the transformational power of Christ. When my daughter was five years old, she asked me a question one day that I had a hard time answering. She asked, why would God create us knowing that we would sin and then punish us for our sins? And apparently I struggled enough with my answer that she finally said, can you just ask Siri? You know, our kids are living in a day when technology is inescapable. For better or worse, technology is one of their most pervasive and influential teachers. And that can be a scary thought considering all the dangers lurking online. So one way to encourage our kids' curiosity in a safe environment is by using Covenant Eyes. Covenant Eyes offer safeguards for every member of the household. Their accountability service monitors screen activity and sends a detailed report to parents or even a trusted ally if online choices are difficult for the adults in the household as well. 
My husband and I have used Covenant Eyes for more than a decade, and we are so grateful for the hedge it has placed around our marriage. To find out more about how you can help your family remain pure online, visit CovenantEyes.com. Again, go to CovenantEyes.com to start your free 30-day trial.